0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. It's a beautiful day in San Francisco today. Nice day to talk about getting fired. I haven't done a solo episode before, so we'll see how it goes. And yeah, I'm going to talk about how I got fired from my first big, real community job and how it was the lowest point in my career, one of the lowest points of my life. And it took me a while to get back on my feet and some of what I learned from that experience and sharing it because I think there's a lot of stigma around getting fired. Maybe you've been fired or you think you might be fired. And this can help show you that you're not alone. Others have gone through similar experiences, that it's not the end of the world. But also, just sharing the experience that I had leading up to getting fired, because you might find some similarities in what you're experiencing right now that will probably result in not a good situation, whether you get fired or you quit and you burn out. I'll start off by saying it's important to acknowledge that I come with a lot of privilege, I'm a white male my ability to recover from getting fired and the ability to be able to talk about it openly without fear for how it's going to affect my ability to get hired. Because I'm a white male, there's a lot more that I can do and talk about and manage a situation like this than others who don't have the same privilege. It was also a long time ago. It was 11 years ago. And so a lot of time has passed. I have once had a lot more fear about talking about it openly, not so much anymore. I also. Just say up front that I'm going to not call people out specifically. I'll talk about them generally. You might even be able to figure out who they are. But there isn't a single person at that company that I feel negatively toward today. Many of them, I have good relationships with. Some of them, great relationships with. I even have a great relationship with my boss who fired me. <laughs> and we've talked about it before publicly too. Maybe I'll bring him on the podcast. and we'll, we'll talk about that experience sometime. We all learned a lot from it. Yeah. So I think it's helpful to start, and I'll try to keep this as brief as possible, but it's helpful for you to understand the context for how I got fired, what the background was, how I got to the point where I was. So I'll also say that the startup that I got fired from was very, very popular at the time. If you were around at the time, it was a company called Zarly. We raised money from and Kutcher and Groupon and Sens Capital and Kleiner Perkins and just Naval Ravikant, just the who's who of investors. We had all the top talent in the world. It was a rocket ship that when well, we all thought it was a rocket ship. And so it was pretty notable and part of why it was so crushing for me when I got fired. I felt like I just got kicked off a rocket ship. But let's backtrack to how I got to this point. So I joined Zarly in 2011. And I was there for 10 months. I got fired in April of 2012. Before that, I had started working in startups and community. So I got my first job working in tech or anything related to community was an internship while I was in college at a PR firm called Ruder Finn, which was a very traditional PR firm. And I was working in the web department, which was like the weird corner of the building where people wore T-shirts and we worked on web design and social media for Companies like the Metropolitan Museum and Pfizer and big brands. Anyway, that was my introduction into the world of community and social media. I started writing a lot about community and social media and business while I was finishing up my senior year of college. Ruder Finn enjoyed having me working with them and decided to hire me as a consultant while I was still in college. So while I was finishing up school, I was consulting and working on projects with them. And writing and a startup read one of my blog posts. The startup was called Scribnia, which was a website for people to review bloggers, like a Yelp for blogging, finding bloggers, discovering them, reviewing the ones you like or don't like. And they were going through an accelerator program in Philly. They invited me to come be their community manager. So I said yes. And right out of college, went, became their community manager. Halfway through the accelerator program, we decided, "Eh, Scribnia. Not really working out, not what we want to do. We want to work on this other idea that was interesting to us, a website that would predict the prices of sports and concert tickets to tell people when to buy. And that ultimately became SeatGeek, which many of you may know today. It's a very large, successful ticket site for sports and concerts, and things like that. So we worked on that for a month and a half. But when we switched off of Scribnia, we sold it to a man named Marc Duquette, who is based in Montreal. He was buying up a bunch of different websites to be able to run ads through them and needed someone to run Scribnia. And my team was like, well, David does everything that isn't engineering. He's our community manager. He should run it. Mark said, "Okay, great. You have the job. You are now the general manager, basically the CEO of Scribnia. And so this is three months out of college. I've now gone through two internships. That's it. And suddenly, I was essentially the CEO running this entire website, entire company, and kind of just got thrown into this really hard but exciting opportunity and experience. I was managing a full engineering team. I grew the team. We ended up pivoting Scribnia to a company called Blogdash, which just like worked with businesses. We were kind of one of the first influencer marketing websites. So we would connect businesses with bloggers, who were the influencers of that time. This is before TikTok and before Twitter got big and even Instagram, worked on that for about a year and a half. And then this company, Zarly, came along. And I was feeling a little frustrated with BlogDash. I was starting to feel a little bit like I didn't want to continue to do that and wanted to explore other opportunities. I was really excited about the world of community and wanted to kind of explore a career path there. Zarly was blowing up. And like I said, raise money from all of these incredible investors. Website looked beautiful. The team, some of the most talented people you will find in Silicon Valley, were all rushing to join this company. It was on every tech news site you can imagine. It was on TechCrunch and Pando and just everything. And so it was very popular, very hot, very exciting. And the CEO is a guy named Bo Fishback. Bo is one of the most charismatic motivating leaders you would ever meet in your life. Incredible person. He's the kind of person that like you meet him and he just spends all of his time making you feel good about yourself. Right. And it just he's an amazing person to be around. And I got to talking with Bo, a friend of mine, Shane Mack, was working at Zarly and he brought me in and said, hey, David's really great at community. We need someone to lead community for us. You should talk to him. I met with Bo and I joined the company. I decided to leave BlogDash and joined Zarly as the director of Community. And I was so excited. This is like my dream job. I always wanted to be in startups. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, want, I was getting really excited about working in Community. And all of a sudden, I had this incredible opportunity to lead Community for one of the hottest startups in Silicon Valley. And what Zarly was, was it was a reverse Craigslist. So instead of like on Craigslist, you post things for sale. Zarly would post things that you want and people could respond with offers. So I could say, I need a bicycle and someone would say, I have a bicycle for you. Here you go. Or I could say, I want ice cream delivered to me. And someone could say, I'll bring you ice cream. And this was before Uber or Lyft or DoorDash or any of these like delivery apps that basically you like press a button to say, I want this. And then it shows up. Zarly was doing that for everything, which in hindsight, was probably one of our fatal flaws was that we weren't focused on solving a specific problem. So people didn't know exactly how to use it and what what to get from Zarly. That all said, the idea of pressing a button on an app and having people respond with offers or be able to provide that service to you, Zarly was really one of the first, if not the first to do that. And so it was this Really exciting idea. It, it came out of a startup weekend, which was a really cool story, too. Startup weekends are hackathons that just happen over the weekend. Bo pitched it there, and the team rallied around it, and and Kutcher invested. And so over a weekend hacking program, Zarly came to life. Anyway, I was joining. It was super early still. I think we were Series A at the time. So still a pretty small, lean team. It was based out of Kansas City originally and i was still in new york at the time we had some people in san francisco and i was in new york and i ended up essentially running our new york office as well as a community team and so now just again to zoom out i've had two internships and then i had about a year and a half of working on blog dash even less like about a year and through blog dash yes i like managed engineering team that was based in romania and i had some staff but It was mostly just me with like contractors. I had no experience of actually managing like full time employees that are part of my team. I know no no experience building a really complex, elaborate community program from the ground up. I didn't have a lot of experience, but I had a really good reputation because I worked on SeatGeek, because I ran Blogdash as a company for a year, because. I wrote a lot and I developed a good reputation as a writer and a creator in this space. And so Zara Lee felt comfortable giving me a whole lot of responsibility, which in hindsight, I don't think I was fully ready for at the time. And so all of a sudden, I find myself leading this office, leading this team. I had about three or four direct reports on the community team. And our job was to make the sellers on the platform really successful and to build a community of the people who were using the app. We did everything like there were local event programs. By the way, zarly also launched in about 15 different cities all at once right in the beginning. So for anyone who's worked in marketplaces or in community, that's a big lesson, too, is you want to start with more constraints and start in a fewer number of places because then you can really prove it out and test it. We didn't really do that with zarly. We We kind of grew really fast. We had a lot of capital, a lot of momentum. We wanted to take advantage of it. And so we were building local ambassador communities. We had a power seller program. We were running the newsletter. We had a Facebook group that we were running. We had reward programs. We were running our contents. My team collaborated with marketing. We were under marketing because I reported to the CMO. And we were running everything, contests, uh, college ambassador programs. So it was a pretty elaborate community program. And our goal is to increase seller retention and really move people through the journey on Zarly of becoming active users on the program. And I was really enjoying applying the theory of community to how we do this. I like mapped out what would end up becoming a sort of community commitment curve or engagement journey that looked like kind of a bell curve at the time when we first designed it. And things were going really, really well. For the first like six months, I felt like I was on top of the world. I was you know, my reputation was great. I was working with this exciting team who all loved me and you know, thought I was doing a great job. I had a cool team that was all doing good work. And then things at some point started to turn. And this was late. You know, it kind of happened fast. It was probably about like seven, eight months into working at the company. All of a sudden it felt like the momentum shifted. And I found myself really struggling to focus, to know what I was doing and why I was doing it, to feel successful in my work. And we're also, I think, finding that the product was really struggling. We weren't retaining sellers. We had the leaky bucket problem, is what they call it. We were doing a really good job of growing the network, getting people to sign up for Zarly. We had millions of dollars. We were spending a lot of money on marketing to grow it, but people were leaking through. They weren't coming back and using it over and over again. And our sellers, we had some incredible power sellers, people that like, I still have relationships today. Some people loved, love, loved love the platform, but the majority of people weren't sticking around as sellers or as consumers. And that's a pretty tough problem to solve. And that's a product problem. It can also be a community problem. And I was trying to solve that problem through a community, you know, okay, do we need better education programs, better community programs, better ways of engaging our sellers and keep them around? Ultimately, like the product didn't work. Like we learned, I think the company learned over years that like that wasn't going to work and they ended up pivoting a bunch of times. The company only recently shut down, but kept at it for a really long time. And so like as things weren't working, and this is something I've experienced in a number of companies now now. When things are like good, when there's a lot of momentum, a lot of money coming in, a lot of growth, kind of like everything's great and everyone's happy and you don't really notice the problems until you start to see like, all right, the revenue is not really coming in or the retention isn't really there that we thought would be there and there are problems, right? And so you start to, that's the big problem. It's not working. And then you start to see all the other problems that exist that you start attributing to like, well, why isn't this working? And so that started happening and there was more and more pressure to perform as a community team. We like reorganized the team a few times. We reorganized our programs. We were doing so many different things, so many different content programs, so many different community programs. And I just kind of lost track of it all. I didn't know how to, my team wasn't feeling successful. My team didn't feel like they were supported or have focus. I was a brand new manager. I had no idea how to even like support them. I was also young and ambitious, so I was afraid to ask for help. And I just want to prove that I knew what I was doing and prove that I could be a great manager and a leader. And it just kept spiraling and spiraling. And it, it got to the point where I remember showing up to work, like every day was just a rush. I was just not present at all. And I would wake up late. I would like rush into the office and I would just work all day, but I was doing half work. I'd be like distracted on social media and not really getting anything done because the to-do list was so overwhelming and daunting that like, I didn't even know where to begin or end. I didn't know how to ask for help, frankly, at that time. And like, I think the managers of the company would say the same thing, like my managers would say like, they weren't noticing that and stepping up to like see that I was flailing and figure out how to help me and support me and give me the tools and frameworks and teach me how to do this stuff because i had never done it before so it's like a combination of me not asking for help managers that weren't like paying attention to who might need help we didn't have clear systems for goal setting or accountability or feedback or reviews so it was just kind of like you know, like it is in a lot of startups so just like duct tape and glue, building a plane while flying it. And I just started burning out. I was just depressed. I had no idea what to do. I wasn't able to perform. I wasn't able to get results. And like the CMO would start messaging me and say like, Hey, where are we with this program? And I just have to be like, "Ah, like we haven't done anything on it. Like I'm trying to do these other things. I haven't gotten to this yet. And the frustration just kept bubbling up and bubbling up and bubbling up. And one of the hard things was like one of my employees got fired and I didn't know they were going to get fired. They just got fired one day after I had a call or had a meeting with our executive leadership and they're asking how things were going. And I shared like, ah, some things are not going well. And some of the programs that this person owned didn't go well. Then like they were fired. <laughs> I didn't know. I found out afterward and like that person still hasn't talked to me to this day, which sucks like I feel like I let them down by like not advocating for them but there's a real lesson in if you are drowning if you are overwhelmed if you're not in a healthy place it becomes hard if not impossible to support other people to take care of them and to see what they need and I think it was just that happening from top to bottom right like our executive leadership felt like overwhelmed and are trying to figure all this stuff out So they couldn't pay attention to us team leads. And we were then starting to freak out and get overwhelmed. And then we couldn't take care of our direct reports either. And again, I was probably one of the most junior people at the company. So maybe other senior level people had more tools to manage the chaos and stay focused and know what to do. I was just, (laughs) I was doomed. And the other thing I'll say too, is it's a lesson that I've learned in the many years since then is just the importance of having that clear business goal for your community team. We had this loose goal of getting sellers to be more successful and retained on the platform, but we never had a very good way of tying community to that. It was all like kind of theoretical. And because we didn't really have clear community business goals, there was another reason that we just started adding more and more and more programs. And I didn't know how to say no to anything right? I wasn't saying no to things because I was young and ambitious and wanted to say yes to everything, but also because I didn't have a constraint of this is our objective. This is the business goal that we have. So we as a community team are only going to focus on the programs that align with that goal. And we're going to say no or table the things that aren't aligned with that goal for now. And we didn't have that. So we just kept adding more events, more online community, more content, more programming, And we were doing way, way, way too many things that way more than our community team could actually handle. And so like, I didn't know how to ask for that or how to guide that. Like, If I were in that role today, I would have from day one said, okay, what is the goal for our community team? Let's get all on the same page about that. What are our goals? What are the metrics that we're accountable to? And then I'm going to only focus on the community programs that drive that. And I'm going to say no to all these other things, right? I'll share more lessons that I think would have helped me in that situation in a little bit. But anyway, overwhelmed, way too much work, had no idea what to do. Oh, yeah. The last thing is I got moved out to San Francisco because I was in New York. We decided to bring the whole team out to San Francisco. And so all of a sudden now, before I was kind of in New York, a little more isolated, but like, there weren't any executives there talking to me every day. I would talk to them once a week, tell them how the New York office is doing, catch them up on community. They moved me out to San Francisco and all of a sudden I was like surrounded by people that suddenly were like watching everything I was doing and like wanting to know and having to interact. And that was overwhelming as well. I was in a new city. I was living in a co-living space that the company owned with other colleagues. So I couldn't even escape work. I couldn't go home. I didn't have a bedroom. I had like a bed in an open space. And so my life was Zarly. Like I literally worked all day. I was working 12 hours a day. Right, half work, not productive, but still trying to get more and more and more done. Go to bed, like go back, hang out for a little bit, sleep, wake up, walk back to the office. And I think just like a few more times happened of the CMO. I need to share who it is. It's Eric Custer. Like I said, we've talked about it openly, and I think he and I would say a lot of the same things about this whole experience today. And he asked me a few more times, like, Hey, where are we on this project? And I was like, We're fucking nowhere. <laughs> like, I'm drowning. And he was just, he got like really, really frustrated that like things weren't moving. And I think he was frustrated and feeling overwhelmed because he was trying to do a lot of things on marketing. And we you know we still had that leaky bucket problem. And that happened again and again and again. And then I, I remember he, like, I think it was. I don't think it was Slack at the time. There was some other app we were using before Slack that was like Slack. And he messaged me. He was like, where are we on this thing? And I said, "Like, we haven't done that yet. And he was just like, what the fuck? He like wrote that. And I didn't hear back. And then the next thing I got was an invitation to meeting like the next day. And I was like, we're two days from there or something like that. And I was like, oh, like that. The writing's kind of on the wall about what that means. And the sad thing is I still didn't give up. I showed up to that meeting with a full presentation prepared on how we can turn things around what i think the community team can do how we can adapt how we can get things on track and, and like i wouldn't let him, i like showed up to that meeting i remember the office i remember walking in nervous as all hell he was sitting in the room and i just like wouldn't even let him talk cuz i was like if i let him talk he's going to fire me so i like just started presenting right away plugged in my laptop start presenting and start going through it and he like let me go for like 5 minutes and then he was just like Sphinx, Look, I'm sorry, but I think we need to go our separate ways. And I remember exactly how he said it. I remember everything about that moment. It felt like the world just fell away from all around me, like a rug was pulled. I felt like my body, like a sensation of just stunned, and I like couldn't even talk. And I don't really remember much of what we talked about after that. I think I got a blacked a lot of that out. I, I think we, you know, I just asked like, why? Even though I knew. And it was really hard for him. We were really close. And like I said, we're luckily we talked a lot since then. We like process a lot together. We're really close today again, but I feel for him having now had to fire people that I'm close with, that I'm friends with over my career. Like I know that moment was extremely hard for him to have to fire me, but I was just devastated. And We finished talking. My hands were like shaking. I've never felt like that in my life. And keep in mind, again, like I was young. I was so ambitious. Like I was so excited about this job. I was 10 months in, so I didn't even meet my one-year cliff to get any like equity in this rocket ship that I felt like I was a part of. I was really close friends with a lot of people in the company. I just, everything, I felt like a failure. I felt embarrassed. I felt like I lost a huge opportunity. Like all my confidence just, disappeared in that moment. And I remember I walked out of the conference room, just walked straight to the elevator, and I was just praying that no one would say hi to me. I like couldn't make, I just beelined for the elevator, went down the elevator, went outside, and I just started walking to the water, <laughs> to the bay here. There's a pier in San Francisco, right next to the Bay Bridge. It's like a beautiful pier. And then they have these like chairs that spin, that you could sit in and just spin. And I walked straight to that pier and I just sat in one of those chairs and like spun <laughs> and, and then stopped spinning and just like sat there for like three hours and just tried to process what just happened. And so that's how I got fired. That was the lowest point in my career. So after that, I sat there for a few hours, called my dad, <laughs> told him I got fired. He was like, what? What? How, what, why? And I was like crying and trying to explain it. And after that, you know, as to like the process of what happens after you get fired, <laughs> I didn't go back to the office. The company gave me a, I don't know, some sort of severance. And, you know, in the days and weeks following that, I spoke with Bo, the CEO. I spoke with Eric, the CMO, who fired me and like we had a lot of really good thoughtful conversations about what happened where we each felt responsibility what we could have done differently i was grateful that eric and i could have those kinds of conversations and like he took ownership over ways that he should have supported me better i took ownership over things that i could have been doing better or communicating better and it took time a lot of time to process and for like that relationship to heal but i think like over time we all learned a lot from that experience. And yeah, I found myself in San Francisco, in a city that I've never lived in before. I didn't know anyone here. I didn't have any friends other than the people that I worked with who like I couldn't really even hang out with anymore because it was just so embarrassing. And uh, But I decided to stay, and I was lucky to find an apartment that's on Craigslist that the people who live there ended up becoming my closest friends in the world. At the time, they gave me the apartment, uh, the room in the apartment. And they're like, cool, this guy's super fun and like working at a cool company or whatever. Then I got fired a couple of weeks, I think, after I moved in. And they were like, wow, this new roommate is super depressed and watches TV a lot and is just around all the time. (laughs) What did we do? And luckily, my mood turned eventually. But And the people in that apartment turned out to be my closest friends in the world. I've officiated one of their weddings, another one her husband officiated my wedding. I was a co-founder of my next company with one of my roommates. So there's a really great story there to be shared one day. But I decided to stay in San Francisco. You know, I wanted to be here. I wanted to be a part of the startup ecosystem and learn how to build startups and stay plugged into tech. But I was horribly depressed. It took me, I think, about three months. I didn't do any work. I lost all confidence in myself. I didn't do any writing. I didn't really talk to anyone. I literally just like played video games, watched TV, and was deeply, deeply depressed. And I like felt like I couldn't work. I don't know if any of you have ever been fired. Maybe you can relate. But like, I just felt like, who the hell am I? I'm not going to be successful anywhere. My reputation is tarnished. Like The same things that happened to me just now are 100% going to happen to me next time. Just a lot of that kind of catastrophizing and just self-doubt in the most extreme way. And yeah, that time was really hard. I got out of that in part thanks to someone named Thomas Knoll. Thomas and I had met previously through the world of community and startups. And he worked with a company called Seismic for a while. And he was working on the conference called Le Web, which was the largest tech conference in Europe with Loic Lemieux who's the co-founder of Seismic and the Web. And it just happened to be that on that day that I got fired and I was walking straight towards the water, I happened to run into somebody I knew, Thomas, which when I saw him, I was just like, oh God, please no, not now. I can't talk to anybody. But I saw him, he saw me. I couldn't pretend I didn't see him. And he was like, hey. And I was like, clearly distraught. And he was like, is everything okay? Okay. And I told him that I got fired and what just happened. And he was like, holy shit. Okay, let's get dinner this week. So he like, let me keep going. He followed up and we found a time to get dinner. And if you've ever met Thomas, he is the kindest, sweetest, most thoughtful person you'll ever meet in your life. He is just such a giving, pure human being. And someone that was like a mentor for me. And I learned a ton in the world of community. He was one of the first community managers. As fate would have it, you know, this is why you live in San Francisco, I guess, is serendipity. I could not have run into a better person on that day. And we got dinner and he just gave me advice and was comforting and let me vent. And we talked about everything and that was it, right? He was just kind of supporting me. And he said, all right, I'm going to keep an eye out for opportunities for you and stuff like that. Anyway, three months later, about three to four months, I'm still in my deep, dark depression and lacking confidence and everything. And Thomas said, hey, I'm going to be stepping down from my community management role at LeWeb, and I think you should take the role. And so he's like, I'd like to introduce you to Loic. And I think if anyone else at that point asked me to do anything, I would have said, like, I am in no position to do work for anybody right now. But it was Thomas. He had a lot of faith in me. He knew me. He was like, trust me. Loic's awesome. You're going to do great. And so I said, "Okay." I went. I met with Loic. We talked for, I think, like half an hour, an hour. Thomas was there, too. And Loic said, great, let's do it. I'd love for you to be my community manager for our upcoming conference, Le Web. So I said, "Okay, let's do it. And that was like the first job I took, the first gig I took since I got fired and, you know, I went in super cautiously, but like was really excited. Le web is a super cool event. I was like, also, I get to go to Paris to this really epic event. And all the speakers were like the top people in the world of tech, like huge, huge opportunity. Really cool. Luik's a super thoughtful and kind person as well. So like I didn't feel that intimidated, but he was kind of a big deal. So I felt a little intimidated and he's very big and strong, but very thoughtful, very kind. And so I worked with him on Le web in uh, Paris, setting up for the event, building community amongst attendees, running competitions for attendees, ultimately running community for the event itself. We ran a huge hybrid conference. So this is before hybrid was really a thing. We had a full live stream. I was managing the online community while interviewing speakers backstage for the online people and connecting them to each other while managing community in person as well. We ran all the social media for the event, all the content for the event. So it was a pretty elaborate program. And I was only working about half time with Luik. And it was going well. And I remember there was a day where Luik just like randomly said to me, <laughs> Thomas is incredible. I don't mean this as anything against Thomas, but he's like, You are the greatest community manager I've ever worked with. You're incredible. And I just remember him saying that. Like I will never forget it because it was the first time that I felt confidence in myself again and like, oh shit, maybe I'm not terrible at this job and this work. And I am actually a good community builder. And there's a lesson in there. If you are in a position of leadership, when you think someone did a great job, tell them because you never know how it could impact their life. I'll never forget Loic saying that to me. And that confidence led me to like, all right, look for more opportunities. I ended up pitching Udemy, the online education platform on building out their community program with them or helping them as a strategic advisor. And I helped them build that first program. And ultimately that led to me starting my next startup called Feast with my roommate, Nadia, who's in that apartment that I moved into and ran Feast for a couple of years and went into 500 startups, bat six super early for the 500 startups accelerator program and had an incredible experience there. And moved down to Mountain View for the summer and slept on an air mattress every day and had yet another just absurd startup experience, just completely immersing myself, but with more confidence and more excitement, more support. And then Feast failed. And while it was failing, I, was, I wanted to invest more into the world of community. And I had co-founded the communitymanager.com with Jen Petey and Brett Petersell. And it was like a side project that we were running, like a blog and job board and things like that for community managers and events. This was back when I was in New York primarily and just wanted to like keep down that path. And so we had talked about doing a conference one day and I had told my friend Max Altschuler about the idea for a conference. Max and I met through Udemy because he was working on sales there when I was consulting for them. And Max came to me when Feast was kind of failing and he said, hey you know that conference you've been wanting to run for community managers. Well, I know how to run a conference now because I just ran this conference, Sales Hacker. If you want to do that, let's partner and I'll handle all the logistics and sponsorship sales if you handle marketing and speakers and be kind of the brand. And I said, great, cool, let's give that a shot. Feast wasn't really working, let's just test this out. We each put, I think, 10 to 20 grand in, started testing it out, uh, launched CMX Summit, And CMX Summit was a huge success, an incredible experience. People flew in from all over the world. We had over 300 community professionals. And this is when the community issue was still not a thing at all. And I was like, oh, shit, this is what I'm meant to do. Like all these really interesting, hard experiences of building community and failing and getting fired and starting startups and failing and just a lot of failure, but I did it in all these really unique worlds. It put me in a position to be able to build CMX and understand how to build a business and understand how to help community professionals and help them connect their work to business. And I just felt like this, I found my calling in a way. And I switched my full-time focus over to CMX. And you know, now it's eight years later and CMX went on to grow into this really incredible community. We've hosted over a dozen conferences. We've tens of thousands of community professionals. We helped shape the community industry and help lots and lots of community professionals learn how to do this work better and get better frameworks and get better tools. And I think like that experience of me getting fired is such a root foundation in all the work that I've done with CMX and all the work I've done since to just like try to make sure that community professionals don't have the experience that, that I did, that they have the tools that help them know how to focus, how to manage, how to communicate what they do why it's valuable, how to manage up, how to take care of themselves. and you know, I ended up writing the book The Business of Belonging, which like I talk about my experience in there. and just everything in my career, I can definitely draw a line back to getting fired. And then CMX was acquired five years after we started it, about three years ago by Bevy. And I found myself back in the position for the first time now of working for a company, having a boss being accountable to someone, needing to drive business goals that aren't just purely community-centric, right? Because CMX was bootstrapped. Everything we did was for the community. Everything we made money on had to be aligned with the community. And all of a sudden now it was acquired. It's like realigned. This time it's a SaaS product, not a consumer product. But it was interesting because coming into Bevy, I had a lot of fears that I realized were rooted back in the trauma of getting fired and that experience at Zarly. I was really afraid of like, I still had that imposter syndrome of like, who am I to manage a team? Even though I've been managing a team, it sounds silly, but like managing a team while having a manager and like having someone ask me like how I'm producing and pushing me to achieve goals and working with a team again, side by side and all these things that I didn't do since Zarly, like were really haunting me and I was really afraid coming into Bevy. And then, thankfully, Bevy, the team, has been incredible. The culture really aligned with me and my values. It's a super supportive team, really thoughtful, really community-minded. Bevy came out of Startup Grind, a community program, so it's kind of built into the DNA. And Derek, the CEO, is who I reported to. We've had an incredible relationship where I can give him really candid feedback. He can give me really candid feedback. We listen to each other. We adapt. We support each other when we say we're struggling. I've told Derek before, I'm burning out. I'm taking a week off. He's like, great, do what you need to do. He cares about my mental health. It was interesting because I just came in with all these expectations that were rooted in the experience I had in the past. And it was really important to have this positive experience now because it taught me that every job is not gonna be like that one. It's not gonna be like that experience also showed me how I've grown as a person and a manager and a leader and the tools that I have available to me now to be able to manage really complex or really stressful situations. I hope my team, and I think they would say that the team that reports to me that I'm a good manager that supports them and listens to them and make sure their voice is heard and make sure they're not overwhelmed to the best of my abilities. And A lot of what I try to practice as a manager are things that I both failed at as a manager at Zarly, and that I would have hoped to get from my managers in that experience. So that's it. That's the story. And that's how I got fired. And I think there's a lot to learn from that experience. If there's a few things that I can share, it's getting fired is not the end of the world, but you are well within your rights as a human being to be depressed for some amount of time afterward, you will get through it. It will pass. You are going to catastrophize. You are going to self-doubt. You're going to believe that every future job is going to be like the one you have now and every future manager is like, like the one you had and everything's going to go the same way. These are thoughts that you are very likely to have, but I promise you it will get better. I promise you you will regain your confidence. I promise you every job is not going to be the same and every person you work with is not going to be the same. And I promise you that you are going to be a lot stronger, a lot smarter. You're going to have a lot more tools and a lot more awareness that you bring with you from that experience. I'll also say that when you get fired or you think you might get fired, or if you're just in a situation right now where you are drowning and you feel overwhelmed and like you feel like I did in leading up to getting fired, it's easy to put all the blame on yourself. There are a lot of macro issues that are probably resulting you in you being in that situation, some that you may be able to see, some that you may not be able to see. For example, with Zarly, our product wasn't working. It wasn't working. We didn't have product market fit, and we were trying to grow. We made a lot of mistakes. There were a lot of things that weren't working, and when a company isn't working, everyone is either quick to take blame upon themselves or point blame at others or both. And I know I took a lot of blame on myself But in hindsight, there was nothing I could have done. I could have been the highest performing, most organized, most perfect community professional in the world and built the most epic community possible with my team and been the best manager ever. And it still would not have saved the company because we just didn't have product market fit at the time. Community does not fix product market fit. You can still make people happy and engaged and give them a sense of belonging around the product. Some people might like the product too, and you can build community around that. But for like building a successful business over time, there's only so much you can do. Other macro issues might be the situation that your boss is in. They're probably getting a lot of stress. They're probably getting a lot of pressure. They're probably overwhelmed. There's the entire tech ecosystem. Like There's so many factors that go into whether or not you feel successful and like the work you're doing is moving the needle that just recognize that sure there are things that are your responsibility and that you can definitely be better at and there are things that are completely out of your control that you may or may not see i think another lesson is something i've i've just taken with me as a manager of always listen to your staff but that doesn't mean just expecting them to come to you when they have problems especially if you have junior staff especially if you're putting them in a position where They don't have a lot of experience with it yet. And the expectation is for them to kind of rise to the occasion and step up and take initiative. You have to proactively check in with them, give them space to give feedback, ask for feedback, because there's a good chance they're going to just try to prove themselves. And in their heads, they're not going to want to come to you for help because that means that they couldn't figure it out themselves. And there's probably there's a good chance that you're creating that environment. And I know because I've done that as a manager and I've had it done to me in these experiences. And so regular one-on-ones where you have a specific space where you're like, give me feedback. How are you doing? We do a traffic light check-in in our team, red, yellow, green. How are you feeling this week? What's bringing you pain? What's bringing you joy? What radical candor do you have for me? And we explicitly ask for that feedback so that if somebody is drowning, they have a space to say it and they're encouraged and they're given an example And I I share when I'm drowning, I share that with my team to to model that like, it's okay, we're in startups. It's supposed to be really hard and overwhelming and stressful. What's important is that you communicate that so we can support you and make sure you take care of yourself and all of that. There's a really good matrix that was shared with me from The Grand. It's a really cool program. They do management training and leadership training. It's called The Grand World. The website's thegrand.world. And they provided this matrix of how to properly support or manage somebody. And the matrix has a bunch of different variables, but like two of the variables are like confidence and competence. And so the way that you support somebody who like already has confidence in their ability to do something already has competence in their ability, like they've done it before, they have experience, they have access to the information and resources they need, someone who's like all set up, the form of management that's good for them might be like more hands off, let them run, give them creative freedom. But then there's people who are new to something and don't have the competence yet, maybe don't have full confidence yet, but they do have motivation, right? That's another variable. And so in that situation, actually, the worst thing you can do is say like, hey, figure it out. I'm going to be super hands off as a manager because what they actually need is a lot more hand holding. They need guidance. They need to be told what to do so they can execute on it and they can learn. They're not ready to figure out what to do yet because they don't know what they don't know. And I think that was a situation that I was in at Zarly where like I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know how to ask for it. And my managers were giving me the freedom in part because I think my reputation and the work I did before where they're like, oh, David clearly knows what he's doing. Let's let him run with it. And I was like, yeah, I can run with it. I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. It turned out like I really needed someone to tell me what to do and give me the tools and point me to the path and help me do it. And then I would have been thrilled to execute on it. But instead, I was like, all right, I'll figure it out. And I got completely lost. So that's my story. Hope it was helpful. Hope it was interesting. And if you're going through something like this, reach out to somebody, ask for help, talk to others. You are definitely not alone. You are a hundred percent not the first person to feel the way you're feeling. If you're depressed at work, take a step back, gain perspective, pause, take a breath. Like you're not going to be able to figure it out by working yourself through it. You have to step out of it to see things objectively. Take space, take time off, take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. Turn to communities, CMX. One of my favorite things about CMX is that it can be a space where you don't have to go through experiences like this alone alone. I didn't have anyone to really turn to externally outside the company at the time. I didn't, there wasn't a community like CMX when I was at Zarly. So I couldn't ask like, hey, anyone else going through something like this? Can anyone help me? Can I talk to anybody? But I know for a fact, if you share that in CMX or any of the other incredible communities that exist for community professionals today, you will get a lot of camaraderie, a lot of people saying, yep, me too. You'll get support. You'll get help you are not alone in doing this work anymore. And my DMs are always open. I genuinely want to be able to help anybody who is going through something like this. So if you find yourself in a situation like this, DM me, my DMs are open on Twitter. I want to help. All right. That's all I got. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevi, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo.